Welcome to this week's podcast, Building Blocks of the Indian Economy. I'm your host, Amar Meni. In recent episodes, we have been exploring the world of Indian machinery. We have examined India's 70-year-old quest to make machines in India and increase its capital intensity. We have found, however, that a major impediment to the growth of India's capital goods industry has been what is known as an inverted duty structure. That is, the government of India likes taxing all the goods, raw materials, labor, and power going into the factory, more than the finished product coming out of the factory. Needless to say, this makes India's manufacturers uncompetitive in the world market, and Indian machines artificially expensive within India. So this week, I want to take a deeper look at some of the government of India's trade policies and precisely how they impact India's quest to make machines in India. As we have learned in previous episodes, imported capital goods increased as a share of the total capital goods industry from about 33% to 40% during the 2010s. Now, exports have grown at a slightly faster rate than imports. So how could the share of imports actually be rising? Well, imports were already a much bigger share of trade. India was a net importer in its capital goods trade to start with. And so if the exports have grown at, say, 8% a year, and imports at 6% a year, imports still had a big head start were working off a higher base, and so the trade gap just became even bigger, with imports outpacing exports. India is a major importer of capital equipment, including in the segment which dominates the industry, heavy electrical equipment. India imports most of its capital goods from China. Just before the two countries clashed up in the Himalayas at the start of the pandemic, China accounted for nearly 30% of total imports in the electrical equipment segment. And the imports have been increasing at over 10% a year over the previous decade. India's share of global exports is less than 1% of the world market. India is a net importer in all the capital goods segments, barring one, that is, dyes, moulds, and presses. However, the export sector for dyes, moulds, and presses is so tiny as to be negligible, which means imports are also negligible. You could almost think of it as a tiny statistical anomaly. So India is a net importer in all the other capital goods sectors, and imports are gaining traction in each of these sectors. Which is the reason why 40% of all capital goods demand is now met by imports. Imports of machine tools and plastic machinery have recorded the sharpest rise in imports at close to 20% per year in recent years. So what is going on? Why do imports keep rising as a share of the Indian capital goods industry? Well, It is quite rare nowadays that if you take a single manufactured product 
that it will be 100% locally made. That is, just made in the one country. You have probably heard a lot about the global supply chain. And for any given manufacturer in any given country, there will be a need to import some share of the components, the inputs, into the product it is manufacturing. This is where India suffers from a completely outmoded trade and tariff policy, stuck in the 1960s. If manufacturers, Indian manufacturers, require imported components to make their finished products, then the tariffs which are levied on those imported components matter quite a lot. And India still has among the highest average import duties among major trading economies in the world. The level of tariffs in a key competitor economy like Vietnam are 47% lower than in India. They average about 5% in Vietnam. That means that Vietnamese manufacturers are getting a 47% discount on imports into their manufacturing process compared to Indian manufacturers. Quite a big head start. Brazil and Mexico also have lower tariffs than India. Rather than bridging the gap and becoming more competitive, Indian tariffs drifted further away from the global average during the 2010s. The gap between the Indian rate and the global rate almost doubled. The government of India raised tariffs on imports not only on non-essential goods, but also the intermediate and capital goods which Indian manufacturers need to make in India. So the average Indian tariff went in one direction, up from about 7% to 11%, whilst the rest of the world went in the other direction, reducing such tariffs from 8% to 6%. And in all the key capital goods sectors, like electrical machinery, 11%, non-electrical machinery, 8%, and transport equipment, a whopping 30%, Indian tariffs are much higher than the global average. So placing high tariffs on critical, intermediate and capital goods, on machinery and parts, only makes Indian manufacturers uncompetitive. We could learn from the experiences of export-oriented Asian economies, like Japan, which lowered duties on these capital goods imports to allow their own manufacturers to become globally competitive. Across the board, at the moment, India has the highest import duties in the world, at close to 20%, about twice the global average. Now, India has negotiated free trade agreements with close to 50 nations, not all of them big trading nations, but there are a few like Japan and South Korea, and nations in ASEAN, in Southeast Asia. So how have these free trade agreements worked out for India's machine makers, manufacturers, the capital goods industry? For India's quite small exports of machinery, it is actually countries with whom we do not have any free trade agreement that are our biggest buyers. They make up about two-thirds of our exports, the United States, Britain, Germany, France, and Middle Eastern countries. Whilst one-third goes to countries with whom we do have free trade agreements, 
and then just about 4% goes to China. So where do all those imports of machinery and parts come from? Again, the biggest share is from countries with whom we do not have any free trade agreement, close to half of imports. Then China, which alone accounts for almost one third of our capital goods imports. And then the countries with whom we have a free trade agreement, at close to a quarter of imports. Imports from Southeast Asian economies have been growing much faster than our exports to them. And so India is running massive trade deficits with just about all of Asia, certainly Southeast Asia and China. China alone accounts for close to two thirds of our trade deficit in capital goods. Now for those developed countries that India does export capital goods to, like the United States, Britain and Europe, they already have fairly low import duties. So signing a free trade agreement with them would not result in very great gains for Indian capital goods makers. But what does hamper Indian capital goods exporters is the non-tariff barriers these countries impose, particularly quality standards, which Indian manufacturers often do not meet. On the other hand, when India does sign a free trade agreement, its capital goods exporters have not been taking advantage of the available opportunity, just about 2 or 3% of the newly available market, compared to developed countries with similar market access, which take up 70 or 80% of their new market opportunities. You may have heard of the old saying among Christians, robbing Peter to pay Paul. Well, the government of India has been doing something like this since the 1960s. Only the government of India has been robbing importers to pay exporters. Just to add to the confusion, most often Peter and Paul are the same person. So maybe we should coin a new phrase robbing Peter to pay, uh, Peter? The government is robbing the importer from one pocket and putting the same note in the same fellow's other pocket when he exports. Let me explain a bit further. I mentioned the 1960s. Well, the economic plan of the 1950s was all centered around import substitution, the quest to make machines in India and so save on foreign currency payments. But by the 1960s, it was realized that exports could not be forgotten either. After all, they earn foreign currency. Yet due to the desire to protect Indian firms, huge tariffs and restrictive quotas were erected to control the flow of imports with the goal of import substitution. That is, if taken to an extreme, eliminating imports. But then Indian manufacturers needed many of these parts and machines in their manufacturing process, without which they could not export. See, at some level, import substitution and export promotion are contradictory. But the government of India tried to solve the riddle, square the circle, whilst maintaining its high tariffs and restrictive quotas on imports, it would pay, it would reimburse manufacturers who were using these inputs for exports.
robbing Peter to pay Peter. And not a huge amount has changed in this thinking since the swinging 1960s. If the duties on imports were reduced, to the global average at least, Indian manufacturers would be able to pay this world average price for machinery inputs and thus have a chance to be globally competitive on price. And there would be no need for this maze of export schemes. Just leave poor Peter, Paul, same guy, alone. Don't pick either of his pockets. To extend the analogy further, the government of India gets caught, not so much for the picking of the pocket, the application of duties on imports, but putting the money back in the other pocket through its export facilitation schemes. The United States and the European Union latch on to these schemes as proof of the government of India's unfair subsidies to its exporters, which then give them the excuse to put their own countervailing duties on imports from India. There are a maze of these Government of India export schemes, none of which would even be necessary if imports could come in at a competitive price. There is the Advance Authorization Scheme, Export Promotion Capital Goods Scheme, Duty Drawback Scheme, Remission of Duties and Taxes on Exported Products, etc., etc. And they all have their own catchy acronyms like the R-O-D-T-E-P. They all make the government of India vulnerable to charges of violating World Trade Organization rules. Now that we have analyzed some of the structural impediments for India's capital goods industry, we can have a look at its broader role in the economy. Capital goods growth, growth in demand for machinery, is just about perfectly correlated with investment demand. The problem over the past decade has been that investment demand has been growing, but local production of machinery has not been able to quite keep up. Hence the need for more and more imports, particularly from China. So because of these structural flaws in the Indian capital goods industry, as investment continues to pick up throughout this decade, imports of capital goods are going to add to India's current account deficit. A deficit in the current account occurs when the value of goods and services imports is higher than goods and services exports. But there might just be a ray of hope, some signs of change. The Union Minister, Ashwini Vaishnav, was recently at Davos and keen to talk about changing mindsets in the government of India. The need to reduce duties on imports to allow Indian exports to become more competitive. Now, I do not know if this was just Davos talk or his own personal conviction, or, as we would all hope, a historic change of policy direction, a signal from the very top, perhaps,